It is April 30th, 2020, last day of April. We are heading into May. Hopefully May will be a little bit brighter. They always say that April goes in like a lion. And out. nope, no, that's not accurate. March goes in like a lion, out like a lamb. That didn't happen this year. It seems more like April went in like a lion and came out like a saber-toothed tiger that stubbed its toe and we all are on the burrito menu of its plate. And that's kind of what it feels like. I don't know. Maybe that's accurate. That could be a better statement, but it could be pretty long to say. So I don't know if that would really fly, but April showers bring May flowers. So April showers, the showers of coronavirus will bring May flowers of people that have traveled around the world and they've made it here on boats called the Mayflower and we'll just start this whole thing over. Well, we're off to a good start of today's podcast and we're going to keep this going. You know, everybody is on edge. I I get it. We all don't want to die right now. I, I get it. And we don't want to be sick. Being sick is not fun. It's horrible, and I don't want to make light of that. But I do think that, you know, a sense of humor can go a long way. I got to tell you this. Yesterday, I'm in the store, and everybody's covered up with masks. You know, I just started running down the aisles and coughing and sneezing and jumping on everybody. And nobody thought it was funny. I was laughing, you know. But, uh, no, that didn't happen. It would have been funny if it did. Or maybe not. Maybe you'd say, but that's not funny. I would have thought it was funny, but it was funny in my head. So I had to share that with you. I would like to maybe start off with a little bit of sense of humor. One of my favorite things going on right now are memes. Something that the year 2020 has brought us with all the technological advances. Because we are now at the pinnacle of our smartness. We've taken Albert Einstein's theory of relativity. We have taken the laws of gravity, Sir Isaac Newton, and we have come up with these most amazing things called memes. I'm going to tell you the biggest reason I go on Facebook. In fact, I think it's the only reason. Wait, you know what? 99 times out of... 99 and a half times. We'll go with 99 and a half out of 100. I will go on Facebook to look at funny memes because I want to laugh. That half of time out of 100, I go on because we know somebody that had a baby and we're like, we need to see the baby. And we're like, that's precious. And then we like that. But the other 99 and a half times out of 100, I guess it would be more accurate to say 199 times out of 200, but that's just crazy. We'll go with 99 and a half out of 100 times. I go on and I follow people and most of my friends that I follow that I like their stuff, it's because they make me laugh. That's the one criteria. You make me laugh, we follow you on Facebook and I love it. So some of these memes, I think they're funny. I saw this yesterday. And as we know, all of the professional sports world has shut down. The college sports world has shut down. All of sports have shut down. 
And I love baseball. I grew up loving baseball, played baseball from when I was five years old up until I was 18. Absolutely love baseball. I'm a big Reds fan. The Reds have not been good for the last, since 1990. <laughs> and I remember those years. Loved Barry Larkin. Loved Chris Sabo. Uh, Tom Browning. But since then, they've not been so good. I love baseball. And one of these made me laugh. If it makes me laugh out loud, it's funny. This picture, you can't see the picture because this is a podcast, but it shows all of these professional athletes, these, pro these professional baseball players, and they're like 400 pounds. And over top of the picture, it says opening day 2021 season. That made me laugh. Another meme... When this is over, the police may have to physically remove me from a Mexican restaurant. That's me all the way. I love Mexican restaurants. Probably not good for a diet because you just eat an unlimited amount of chips. I like that Malcajete bowl that you get. It's just this giant bowl. And every time we go out to eat with somebody and we get this bowl, they bring it out. And people are like, what is that? And their eyes are opened almost like the moment of salvation when they realized a deeper truth in life and they bring out this malcajete bowl and they're like, I have never experienced Mexican restaurant. And I'm like, you're right. You haven't. So this meme made me laugh. When this is over, the police may have to physically remove me from a Mexican restaurant. Me all the way. Next meme. Here's one. Country people don't even tell you when you miss your exit. They just wait until you pass it. Then ask, where are you going? This is uh, most people I know. You driving down the road and they don't want to stop you. They don't want to be rude and interject that you have to get off on the next exit. They just wait till it's too late to get on the exit. And they're like, hey, where are you going? And you're like, apparently I'm going wherever I want to go, but I'm not going where we're supposed to go. So that made me laugh too. Not making me laugh now, but made me laugh then. Anyway, my favorite meme and this is just a couple of them, but I love, I love them. If you have funny memes that make you laugh out loud, you have to actually laugh out loud. Email them to me. I love them. It'll make me laugh. My favorite meme, and this is a little bit old. This is about a month or three weeks old, but I laugh every time I see it. And I'm going to read it to you. A meme that says this, anyone else feel like life is being written by a fourth grader right now? And there was this virus and everyone was scared, and then the world ran out of toilet paper. Yeah, and there was no school for like a month, and then it snowed. It's almost like I need to have, hold on, you know what? I've got a fourth grader, so we got to put it into context. Let's do this. And there was this virus, and everyone was scared, and then the world ran out of toilet paper. Yeah, and there was like no school for a month, and then it snowed. Anyone else feel like life is being written by a fourth grader right now? So now on to more serious things, I want to welcome you to restructure. Restructuring is not always a bad thing. Restructuring our mind to instead of lay on these preconceived ideas that we already have about something, Preconceived ideas can be a very dangerous thing. These preconceived notions, when we go into a topic or we go into a truth that we look at in Scripture or in life, 
these preconceived notions can hinder us from finding the real truth. That doesn't mean we just remove everything that we've been taught, but sometimes it's good to clean the slate, clean everything off, and we could see a point of view that would guide us to truth. A word that's been coming up lately has been this word called objective. Taking an objective approach to something. That word might scare somebody, but what that means, an objective approach, simply is this. Not influenced by personal feelings, interpretations, or prejudice. Based on facts, unbiased. It means that you are not approaching a topic with a preconceived idea or with an ulterior motive or agenda. That you are approaching something objectively. We want our judges and juries to be objective. We want them to be fair and just and balanced. So if we take that approach to Scripture. I know that you could say, well, you are tearing down all that has been built up of your understanding in Scripture. But sometimes those foundations that are built up are not good foundations because they shoot us off in a direction that is bad. So if we go back to the basics, back to the fundamentals... Fundamental is not a bad word. If we go back to fundamentals in Scripture, the problem is what has been defined as fundamentals aren't necessarily fundamentals. It's not a fundamental approach to Scripture. The definition that fundamental means to some people is that you have the right standards, you have the right music, the right Bible. Those are not the fundamentals of Scripture. A fundamental approach to Scripture would be an objective approach, an unbiased approach. What is wrong with that? I, I think it's a very wonderful thing. In order to restructure, to see God change the next generation, we must remove our own thoughts and feelings, our own bias, and we must take a fundamental objective approach to the Scripture, pass this down to the next generation. With that being said, that leads us into our context time. We have been looking in our context time at Romans, and I do want to reiterate this. If you have not done so already, go back and listen to at least the context time in our previous podcasts. That'll get you up to speed as to what we are looking at. I hate to linger this point, but we are at a vital time in our Scripture moment. For us to keep going forward and not really grasp what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 2 and 3 with the law would do a disservice to the rest of the context. Remember, we are looking not just at context, but true context. 
We're taking opinion out of this. We're taking an objective approach. And we are taking context time in its entirety and just going through Romans. In Romans chapter 3, verse 1, he's already established and started talking about a law and how God will judge that law. We have this law that is written on our hearts that we will all and are all accountable for. Whether you have grown up in church, whether you have not, whether you have just heard about God for the first time, whether you have studied the Word of God your whole life, you are without excuse. You are accountable for what you know of God. And what we know of God starts with this foundational truth about the law. At the end of Romans chapter 2, Paul says this phrase, and we know that the verses and the chapters are not inspired. That is very important to understand. There are many that say we know the King James Bible is the Word of God because these numbers, but they take it to the extreme, and they use these numbers of the chapter and verse references to back up why the King James Bible is the Word of God. And that is false. The chapters and verses are not inspired. For us to say that they are inspired would also say that every commentary added on, like those of Schofield or those of of Thompson Chain reference commentaries, or John Phillips, or Matthew Henry, or Andrew Barnes, we could add that all in the side notes. I mean, when does it stop? We have to realize the chapters and verses are not inspired. That's a little rabbit trail, but very important to understand. A lot of times the chapter and verses gets us off track because we put them all in their own little category. But let's look at the way Paul had written it. At the end of Romans 2, he says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. What does this mean? There's a lineage of people that were born Jewish. They are born Jewish. In the Old Testament, they were the ones that God had chosen to show himself, to manifest himself to the rest of the world and to the Jewish nation. It says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, verse 28 of chapter 2, which is outward in the flesh. And then the last verse of chapter 2, he says, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Chapter 2 comes to a close. He is talking to Jews that have this idea that they are the ones that are more elite because God has chosen them. They are a better group of people. That is their mindset. That is not Bible. Paul is rebuttaling that. It's important to understand this. And he's rebuttaling this, giving us truths about the law, that it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile. It does not matter what your lineage is. You will be accountable one day to the law of God. If you don't realize there's a law, there's a law that's already written, that goes deeper, that is written on your heart. And he talks about that Romans 2. And so he's talking to these Jews and he's saying, if you are outwardly a Jew or outwardly not, that's not what's important. 
If you have marked yourself outwardly as a Jew and inwardly your heart is far removed, then you're not a Jew. That's kind of what he's saying. That's the extreme of what is being said. Because what he is saying is far greater, far more important. And the core issue is that your heart is sold out. Now, I grew up independent, fundamental Baptist. And I've been in many meetings where people would get up and they would say, I'm independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James, soul-winning, door-knocking, hallelujah-shouting, amen-saying, snot-slinging, spitting, Baptist, hell-preaching, independent, Baptist. Preach on that and people, woo, they go crazy and they start running the aisles. We have made this idea of an outward, and Paul's rebuttaling this. And he's saying it does not matter on the outside. It's what matters on the inside. He ends chapter 2 with that. And then he goes to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? What is so good about being a Jew then? If there's not a difference... If it's only what's in your heart, the Jews are thinking, we've been following all these laws and all these ordinances, all of these things, and you're going to tell me that we've been wasting our time? So Paul says this. He goes, well, hold on. What advantage then hath the Jew? Then he says, verse 2, much every way, chiefly, mostly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. He's saying, do not negate that God chose the Jews in the Old Testament to manifest, to show himself to the rest of the world. Then he says, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? So if some of the Jews did not believe, is the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? Parentheses, I speak as a man. He's saying that argument as a human being. He is taking an objective approach to this problem of an elite mentality that the Jews had. A badge of honor that they were wearing. Much as if to say that we're American, we're better off than these other, that the same kind of thing. We're Baptist, we're Nazarene, we're Pentecostal, we're Presbyterian, we're Reformed. But it's these badge of honor that we wear. It's, it, it all goes back to pride. When he says that they are all under sin, and then he quotes the Old Testament, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together, become unprofitable. Many could quote that, but that whole climax, the point he's proving, the point that was led up to, was they are all under sin. Jesus, when he came, he began preaching and saying, you've heard it said not to commit adultery. You've heard it said not to murder. He said, but I say unto you, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you have hated your brother, 
you have murdered in your heart. And what Paul is dealing with with the law is reiterating what Jesus says, that it is impossible in our power to keep the law. Once you break the law, you're a lawbreaker. Once you hit the ball out of bounds, you've hit it out of bounds. And if you've done that in your heart, you've broken the law. There is none that doeth good. So join us next week as we continue into Romans 3. Now it is time for our tire time, where the rubber meets the road. This week in tire time, I want to talk to you about something that we have been taught as children growing up that we need to do every day. And this is awfully important for a couple reasons. Why brush our teeth? First off, you'll get cavities and you'll lose your teeth. And you will have a toothbrush, not a teeth brush. Number two, bad breath. If purgatory was real, which it's not, but if there was a purgatory from Dante's Divine Comedy, there is a place you go to and you are held there and there are some bad things going on. It's not quite hell, but it is like bad. It would be people surrounding me with bad breath and I'd be like, and it'd be so gross. Anyway, number two, don't have bad breath. Take care of your breath. Number three, this is a bigger reason. And this is a reason that I think affects us now. Brushing your teeth is a lot like making your bed or a lot like washing your face. I heard a preacher say that when you're discouraged, the best thing you could do is wash your face. The best thing you could do in the morning is get up, brush your teeth. There was a speech in 2014 to the graduating class of the University of Texas that was given by Admiral William H. McRaven. This has become a very famous speech. In this speech, he gives 10 ways to change the world. One of these ways to change the world, they were things he learned in SEAL training. One of these ways he said to change the world became the title of the speech, what we know today, one of the most famous things he said. And in this speech, he said, make your bed. And he went on talking about, if you make your bed, then you have accomplished something. And then you get a sense of pride. And so then you take the next step in accomplishing something. In that same context, I'm saying brush your teeth. One of the best things you could do every day, get up, get ready for the day. It's astounding what God can accomplish through you when you get up, brush your teeth, or make your bed, wash your face. Just little words of wisdom entire time. Now we're on to our last segment. One of my favorite segments. A segment called... Hmm, I'm not so sure about that. Now this first claim I want to talk about in this segment of... "Mm, I'm not so sure about that. I saw an exchange on Facebook this past week between a preacher friend of mine and someone who felt like they were being cruel, that the preacher was being cruel. This preacher had posted, I'm not going to use any names, but he is a friend of mine. He posted a picture of him sitting out 
in a turkey blind. And he was thanking God for giving him a harvest. And he was praising God, showing a video of the turkey right before he harvested it, right before he had taken it. And he was just thanking God, saying, thank you so much for this. And this reply was unbelievable, something that I thought was a joke, and it was not. This one reply under this post on Facebook was a reply that said, you are being so inhumane, you are being so cruel that you would go out in nature and you hunters and started attacking all these hunters. And she was saying, you're stealing this life and this unsuspecting life. And then she said this phrase, why don't you do the humane thing and go to the store and buy turkey like the rest of us. Now, I want that to sink in for a moment. The more humane thing, go to the store, buy your turkey like the rest of us, because that's more humane. Apparently, they have never seen how turkeys are raised and sold to grocery stores how these farms pump these turkeys full of antibiotics and they push them out. I mean, in the matter of months, it is unnatural how they grow these turkeys, how they grow these animals. Steroid injected ball of meat. To that, I have to say, Hmm, I'm not so sure about that. This second claim this week is a phrase that we use all the time our God-given right. I've heard it used with guns. We say guns or firearms are our God-given right. Or we say that it is my God-given right to vote. It's my God-given right to, and you could fill in the blank, whatever it is, our God-given right. I think we should take a step back when we use that phrase and not be so hasty. Because that God-given right, what that phrase is doing is producing a sense of entitlement. I think it's important to differentiate between our rights given by our government constitution and our rights given by God. And as we study through Romans, I think we're going to learn a lot about what the rights God has given to us. So with that phrase, it is our God-given right. I just have to say, Hmm, I'm not so sure about that. Thank you so much for joining this week, and I encourage you to subscribe, to follow us. Thank you, and God bless. Restructure is an affiliate of Ambassadors Across America.